You're listening to the Traffic and Funnel Show. Hey folks, this is Alan, producer of the TNF Show. Today's episode comes from a recent conversation Taylor had with Corey Carlson of the Win at Home First podcast, where they discuss being an advocate versus being adversarial, sunk cost bias, and enthusiasm. Join our podcast subscriber community by visiting trafficandfunnels.com slash subscribe to get a free gift from us and also to get access to special deals on our next level paid products. If you have done so already, share this with a friend. We've got some amazing things planned in the coming weeks and they are not going to want to miss out on this. All right, let's go. What is a key leadership trait that you see is needed to win both at work and at home? Compassion. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so when uh, this is actually interesting because I do not... You know, some people have these stories that they tell in every single podcast over and over. And I don't tell this story all the time, actually. But when my daughter was born, so I have one daughter, beautiful wife, and my daughter's name is Kate, and she's 18 months old, and she is amazing, and she gets in trouble all the time. And I love that. But when she was born, I realized my whole life, I have thought that if you are right, then it does not matter much about the delivery. And what you see pre-2019 is a little bit of collateral damage. And uh, I know I don't know how long you've been following me and my work, but there was some collateral damage pre-2019. People actually joke about it today. They call it old Taylor. Sometimes they'll be like, bring old Taylor back. But when she was born, yeah, yeah. They want the the animal back out of his cage. But when Kate was born, I remember being like, it doesn't matter if – someone is right when they communicate with her about something that she needs to change if they are rude or if they lack compassion or they lack empathy or the ability to affirm while correcting then they are in the wrong and it changed it changed the the trajectory of my communication my ability to influence people went up my ability to correct people it became a little bit softer and uh, it's funny because chris evans was talking about it this morning we were on an executive meeting for the real estate team. And we were talking about the differences between an adversary and an advocate. And so a lot of people who are in leadership positions who, who don't understand this principle is they build adversarial cultures rather than cultures of advocacy. And you can, you can correct someone, you can call someone out, you can be intense, but at the same time, be an advocate. And that requires, but that requires compassion. It requires the ability to see past the mistake into you know the intent behind that person and what that person needs so it's kind of a long way to kind of put skin on the bones here but compassion i think is probably the number one thing that has been the the key for me to be able to lead people effectively which doesn't necessarily mean that i'm easy on them but it does mean that no matter what i value their humanity while pushing against maybe their behavior you can have both ends at the same time Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's that balance of truth and grace, that balance of kind of invite them in relationship, but yet you got to challenge them in responsibility. Yep. Just, you mm-hmm. know, you brought up your daughter, Kate. It's just, you, you can't have everything. You can't have the, you know, all the snacks uh, watching that, you know, I don't know if they're doing iPads at 18 months yet. I'm sure they are, but you can't always do it. You got to pull back some. And so it's, yeah. that, it's that balance. And so one thing I've you know learned from you in this whole process is you have multiple businesses. Not only the traffic funnels, the one that I'm invested in and learning from you on, but also real estate. And I'm sure there's many more. How are you, with the demands on your schedule, able to remain compassionate? 
And because sometimes compassion's a function, it seems like a margin. And but yet if you're running all the time, it's like, forget this. I get straight to the point. Maybe it's that old tailor that you reference. And so how are you keeping compassion to forefront? I mean, I, you can still be direct. I don't think that it necessarily means that it's not necessarily the compassion to me is is sometimes about how you say things. In fact, the more compassionate you are in someone's long term, sometimes the more direct you'll become with them. Because the most compassionate thing you can do for someone is to tell them where they're failing. Mm-hmm. You know? But the way that you communicate uh, it is you know, is protective of the trust that they place in you as a leader. I'll also say that despite the businesses, the demand for me in-house, I'm always trying to become less in demand. I think insecure leaders sometimes believe that for them to be useful, they must be needed. But the truth is the better leader you are, the less needed eventually you should become. Uh, I'll never forget when I was a kid. My dad took me to all of these John Maxwell seminars, and he would take me out of school, actually, when I was, I think, 11 or 12. And I I don't remember anything but the Chick-fil-A, really. But there's stuff that got into you subconsciously when you're around the training that my dad kind of took me around. And I just remember one time, I think it was Patrick Lencioni, who's, mm-hmm. uh, he wrote the five dysfunctions of a team and whatnot. And... um he said the barometer of a great leader is actually what happens when they leave. And I had no idea what this meant at the time because I was a kid, but having now at multiple teams, you know, we have close to a hundred employees. I can say that it's true because when a leader transitions into something new and the team still flourishes, that's a great leader. And insecure leaders sometimes feel like for them to be a good leader requires them to be in demand and, they're the, they're the man, they're the ones running the show. And we try to train that out of our teams. Like you want to always be replacing yourself because without bandwidth and cap space, you can't take on new opportunity. And so it's actually not as bad as you would think having the companies that we have and the staff that we have. I feel like as we grow, the less of my time is needed because my leaders are growing into their full capacity. And now I'm training them how to reduce their dependency. So I want them to replace themselves. And when you do that, an organization grows exponentially. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. So as you have continued to, to grow your business and launch companies, and not only just your own companies that you've got equity in, but the ones that you don't, the ones that have bought in your program that you've seen them grow to you know, six digits a month or, or whatever it may be, what have you been seeing in them of how they have the ones that have survived with both work and home and those that weren't able to do it. If you were kind of watching, was it was a burnout that you saw? Did you see it become their identity? You know, what was the piece when you look at them and you see some graduates of your programs, those that thrived both at work and home? Everything comes back down to identity eventually. Mm-hmm. It's like water. You're going to die without it. And um, everything probably touches it at some point. But I think the, the biggest thing is probably just making it a priority, which almost sounds so dumb because it's so simple but it's kind of like what do you see in people who are healthy Mm -hmm. and they exercise let's just they just go to the gym they make it a priority it's amazing to me how we'll say that we want things because we feel like we're supposed to but 
when you look at the behavior or a calendar or some where their actual where the meat of a person's commitment is there's no recollection of what they say they want in their choices so i have any great secrets it's just but i see a lot of people who make it a priority and i see a lot of people who don't and ironically both groups tend to say that it's important but they don't make the same choices you know yeah no that's good i will get business owners that are clients and yeah, you know, marriage is not going well, man. Sorry to hear that. When was the last time you were on a date? Yeah, uh, can't remember. man, uh, yeah. I think six months ago. <laughs> yep. Yep. Or, 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 our work team is toxic. You know, I'm, uh, their trust is lacking. Well, when was the last time you had a one-on-one -on -one meeting? Oh, it's been a long time. So yeah, you're exactly right. Or when's the last time you read a book on, this topic when's the last time you've invested any time i remember one time mm -hmm. before kate was born because me and Lindsay, we had Lindsay's my wife by the way man we went through some incredible lessons early on which is a, to translate that literally it means we went through a lot of pain and right. there was a lot of problems and um i remember one time we were about a year in maybe a little bit less and she wanted to know why she was reading books on marriage, but I wasn't reading books on marriage. And it was, it was enlightening to say the least, because things that I'm interested in, things that I want to grow, I'll, I'm a learner. So I will typically invest time into mm -hmm. reading about them and listening to podcasts about them. And it struck me that, you know, I'm spending a lot of time reading about business and copyright. I'm not spending any time invested into learning how to be a good spouse. And that was a great wake-up call. Hey folks, we'll get back to the show in just a moment. We wanted to give you a quick opportunity to learn about some fabulous ways to get additional value from the TNF show. Hang tight, we'll be right back. Yo, what's up crew, Taylor Welch here. And if you're a fan of this show and you wanna get a little bit deeper in your commitment to your business and your growth and your revenue, head over to trafficandfunnels.com slash subscribe. As a subscriber, you're gonna get a free gift from us just to help you grow your business and it's our way of saying thank you for joining the family. Our exclusive offers and deals usually show up to this subscriber community as well. So you'll get first dibs access on anything new, anything exciting. And most of the time that means profitability for you. Visit trafficandfunnels.com slash subscribe. I'll see you on the inside, my friends. Have you ever felt like you work, 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 work? You're constantly chasing something. But you wake up one day and you feel like you've done all of this effort and you haven't really gotten a good return out of it, but you can't give up because you've put in all of this effort and so you get stuck inside of this hamster wheel that the entrepreneur gets stuck into. One of the things that I learned pretty early on was that you can run really, really fast. You can be a really hard worker. You can be not lazy, not cheap, but you can be running in the wrong direction and where is it gonna take you? Not only do you have to have the mentorship, but you have to know what not to do. We have this cool training that is actually going to teach you the things that you should avoid in your business and how to replace them with the things that actually will work to get you more clients, better clients, happier clients, more money. A lot of times people think business is about service, but no, business is about generating profit. If you can create service, but you can't generate profit, you go bankrupt. But how do you do both at the same time? How do I say, I love who I'm serving, the clients that I have are getting great results and I'm making a lot of money doing it. I'll teach you all of those things in this training. It's free and maybe one day you'll be able to uh, have a team of your own and an office of your own and maybe even have some nice cars. We'll see.
visit trafficandfunnels.com slash holy grail. That's trafficandfunnels.com slash holy grail. I mean, I grew up my whole life wanting to be a pastor from as early as I can remember. Wanted to work in the church, work in the ministry. I eventually got what I wanted in Memphis, Tennessee. This is probably 2010, 2011. And uh, I got a job at my home church that I had grown up in. And um, I don't know how familiar with you, you are with like the music scene and the worship scene in ministry. Very yes. or not so much? Yeah, I mean, yes, I listen to it. I, I, I don't know how familiar yeah, so you, it is I need to be. You know, like, I'm just, I'll just go all the way in. But like, you know, Hillsong, grew up yeah. listening to Hillsong music and yeah. I always wanted to be that and started leading worship and then became full-time leading worship and writing songs and doing what I wanted to do. And I think ultimately that vision of myself uh, at a certain point it became almost toxic to me because I, I started to develop, like, you ever know when you like, you want something too much. Right. Yeah. We talk a little like, bit about that identity piece, right? It becomes yeah. the striving. It's like, you're not happy unless you have something that you do not have. It's like, you want, you're so committed to a certain outcome that you can no longer enjoy you know, the process. And sometimes this is something where it's like, you just need to upgrade who you are. You, know, you need to upgrade, but sometimes it's like you need to let something go so that something new can come in. You know, like I think that people have a couple, maybe three, four, five in their lifetimes where it's like all of a sudden you're like, who I am now is not who I was three months ago. It's like warp speed transition. And that was that was kind of a moment for me, I would say in 2000, late 2011, 2012, where I kind of that thing I wanted my whole life, I let it go and I just decided that if it was something that needed to, to be in my life, it would, it would come back. But it was difficult, you know, because I struggle with all of the same things that your audience has struggled with when you've put so much time into something and so much effort into something. And then mm-hmm. it's like, you almost feel like you're wasting all of that time and all of that effort by moving on to something different. And later I learned out that there's a term for this. People call it sunk cost bias. It's like a mm-hmm. psychological defect. And it's like, well, I need to keep, I'm almost there and I'm just going to keep putting in the time until it works. But I let that go. I moved away from that full-time role and started pursuing other things. I I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no idea. I got a job at a real estate company just because I needed a job, but I knew that it was, I knew I needed to move. I needed to get somewhere else. And that was a game changer for me, as you know, because it kind of, pigeonholed into everything else that has happened in the last eight years. Is there something that going on right now that you almost feel another nudge of handing over your story for even in something greater again? You said it kind of happens every three to, you know, three to four times in our lives. You, you feel a nudge and things you're pursuing. I don't think right now I'm in that transitionary point. I think I've probably got another 10 years ish in the current spot. I'm 31 years old. And uh, yeah, when I first heard that on one of your uh, Daily Mind Medicine, which is a uh, which is your podcast, obviously you know that. But for the listeners, it's a podcast that Taylor puts out every morning, and it's anywhere from you know four to six minutes and inspiring thoughts. But in that, I heard your age once. I was like, oh my goodness, that's yeah. pretty impressive. The baby, a baby by normal standards, 
but I kind of see the next three to five years being a crystallization of just like making things. Uh, we have to, in the, in the business type of world, what we have to do right now is we have to kind of calcify mm-hmm. the things that are happening randomly right now into things that are now happening by design. And then I think that the three to five years after that are going to be years of great abundance for us as we continue to scale. But when things get systematized, you're able to scale a lot faster without sacrificing health. This is what I tell clients all the time inside of TF is, you know, they always, you know this because you came through the process, but everybody wants to come in. It's like, you know, I want to, I want to 11 X my income in three months. It's like, no, you don't, you do not want to do that. You know, you may feel like you want to do that and that can happen. But the price of speed oftentimes is you just you incur a mess. Mm-hmm. You get thing, things are really messy. And if you don't pay attention and clean up that mess, then the price of speed becomes your health. And you end up trading health for speed. And um, the way to kind of offset that is to really build depth inside of your team and your systems. And so right now we're capped. You know, we have, we have Chris has like a dozen act businesses he wants to acquire right now. We just can't do it because we don't have the, the depth yet. If you come to Nashville and you see our offices and how we're expanding, it's, it's pretty cool. It's people are like, oh, this is amazing. You guys are growing so fast. But it's probably a fraction of what we'll be able to grow once we have the depth. You know, 2024, 2025, those years are going to be incredible. You know, we'll probably, you know, we have a legitimate shot of crossing over five, six, seven hundred million dollars a year in income between everything combined. But we have to build, we have to focus on health first. I don't see any major transitions happening. You know, I know for many listeners, it is that that speed for health, that uh, tension. I'm I'm glad you shared that. And even here, and you have to be slow to hit the brakes, even though you have access to greater capital, and even though you've got more resources at your disposal, it, it's it's reassuring to hear you talk about health and speed, because there's often it, you know, for myself who's starting my business, I've been doing it for a few years, but not at that level to, to do those things. So I love hearing that from you. Yeah. On the sunk cost bias, I know a lot of individuals where it is, all right, am I pounding the nail to keep doing this or is it time to move on? Is there something that you do in your life to help you say now is the time to move on? Like I'm banging my head against a wall. It's not just, you know, this is not just perseverance anymore. <laughs> this is actually crossed over the line is there something that you do to help yourself decide it's time to stay or time to go yeah i sort of have more i think everybody has a little bit of a different approach to this question but for me my signal if you will is Mm -hmm. really kind of is my enthusiasm and my excitement there have been crossroads in the past where i'm grinding it out and something is very exhausting and you know, if we think about what would it look like if this were, if this were to work, mm-hmm. I'm no longer even enthusiastic about that. Like I don't even, my excitement has depleted to the point where I'm not even excited about the outcome. Yep. And to me, that's kind of a bad sign. That's, that's something that I want to guard myself from versus the flip side where there have been seasons in life when it's like, I am exhausted. I am working crazy hours and I'm pushing and it's taking a lot of investment and a lot of emotional investment, but I'm so excited about the outcome that 
it's just a it's just a, a short term penalty. It's just a, a process cost, you know. And so when my enthusiasm tends to dip, not enthusiasm in what I'm having to do now, but my enthusiasm in regards to what am I trying to achieve, when that goes away, typically it's time to reconsider and reinvest that emotional capital into something else. That's great. Thanks. Quarantine has brought uh, both good and bad, just not only to, to the, the world, the economy, but just to us personally. What are some good things that you have done in your life because of quarantine that you want to keep? So as the, the, the world opens back up and we don't have to wear a mask anymore and we can go back to places, what do you want to keep in your life that this quarantine has caused you to either reevaluate, whether it's a habit, it's a perspective, mindset, whatever it may be? COVID-19, this sounds crass, but it was one of the best things that ever happened for me. Mm -hmm. And I told a banker that a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, man, I wouldn't say that to many other people because, and I'm not discounting the pain that certain people have gone through because of it. And I know that there's been job loss and there have been lost lives and there have been all of these things. But when you are shaken the level of clarity you can get if you pay attention. You know, a lot of people in the world will get shaken, but they're not paying attention. So it just yeah. creates chaos. But mm -hmm. when you are plugged in and you're paying attention, there's nothing quite as refining as a little bit of danger, a little bit of trauma, a little bit of pain. Like there's nothing quite like it. And there's been so many things that we have upgraded personally, professionally. I've gotten in shape during this mm -hmm. season my wife and i we have we were joking about it just the other day because every friday we make homemade pizza and we have date night at home and we went about two weeks that we weren't able to do it because we were busy because the world is opening back up and we were right. like whoa i miss our date night pizza at home on friday nights you know friday nights the night that everybody goes out and you know nashville when nashville's open is like almost 24 7 you know, the it's nightlife totally changed, and hasn't people. It? And, but while everyone else is doing that, me and Lindsay are at home eating pizza by ourselves and it's the best thing ever. It's like the, the capstone to the week. From a business standpoint, me and Chris are much less involved in the day to day. And I think we needed it. Like I, I really think that we needed a little bit of time, me and Chris, to be necessarily disconnected so that when things started to pick back up, you know, we didn't have the fear of mm -hmm. what happens if I'm not there making the decision because we were forced to not make the decision for a period of time. Uh, I think I could go on and on. And I, I think that it is indicative, not of the circumstance because circumstance, it, circumstantially it was difficult, but it's indicative of my philosophy and how I view personal troubles. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Oh, it absolutely makes sense. Anything in particular that you're that you're learning from God right now, you're hearing in your own life. Just whatever's top of mind the most that you're really pressing into. I I feel like I worked really hard early on from a position. You know, I actually I've talked about this before, but most of what motivated me in the early years of business was actually fear mm -hmm. and insecurity. I didn't know it at the time because you never do. You always justify that what you're building is you're building for your family and you're building for this. But it's like, actually, you're building because you want to get so far ahead that no matter what happens, you can never lose it all. And it's, 
It's a very peculiar thing that our mind does. And the ability even nowadays to live in a state of peace is something that has to be sought after. Mm-hmm. Recently, like I was talking with Chris yesterday. It was yesterday because we were talking about tithing and giving money and charitable giving and whatnot. I was like, it's interesting to think about this because every time right now I write a tithe check, it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's twice as much money per month that I used to make in a year for the tithe. And awesome. I get to the place where I'm about to submit it. And there's a little bit of me that's like, holy crap, this is, this is a house. <laughs> this is like, yeah. man, you know, and I do it anyways. And then I feel this like, awesome weight off of my shoulders. And I was telling them, I was like, I really, I feel like giving is actually like a warring spirit where it's like when people get so hung up and addicted to money and they get addicted to to surplus, what I've learned is that when you can go and give, whether it's the church or to, and we have, we have 20 salespeople here and they're always like, Taylor, what do you do? Like, how do you make sure your energy is good and clean? And I was like, you need to go find a homeless person and buy them lunch. You need to go give to anti-human traffic. It doesn't have to be church. You don't have to be saved. We have people here who give to churches and they don't even believe in God. That's the principle in action on this topic of giving. Yeah. And the same exists for time. We just had a, a conference two weeks ago and I actually took off and I was there all week. And about halfway through, I started getting grumpy because I'm used to like having alone time and I'm used to working and I'm I'm used to like, you know, if I show up and I donate an hour of my time, you know, $30,000 comes out the other side somewhere. And here, what I was doing is I was showing up for free and I was showing up and what I felt was being unproductive. But the same concept of giving applies to time where you can actually give of your time to things that will never pay you back. And I just think it's a principle that I'm kind of just getting deeper into is generosity uh, that verse in the Bible that the world of the generous gets larger and larger. It doesn't always like generosity applies to finances, but it also applies to fulfillment. It applies to peace. It applies. I mean, some of the people who are the, they lack peace the most. If they would go to a soup kitchen and feed people, all of a sudden they would get this overwhelming surplus of peace because they're getting outside of themselves. I don't necessarily think that it's like, well, get around people who are less fortunate than you. I think it's a, actually a generosity thing about what generosity does to your spirit and your mind mm-hmm. and it cleans you out and it makes you a bigger person, like actually a bigger person. The world doesn't just get bigger monetarily, but you become a bigger person through what that act of, of giving does for you. Thanks for listening. For more from Chris and Taylor, visit trafficandfunnels.com and get a free gift just for being a subscriber. That's trafficandfunnels.com.